listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Hey, man. Good morning, Kirk. Yeah, it is morning, barely still. It's just pre-noon over here in CST. We um we had a, a, a group chat on our Race Brain podcast um, back end between me, you, Jack, and Rich. We have a strong Patreon uh, contingency, which we are very thankful for. And we were talking about how to put the money back into the podcast, which is all we do with our Patreon money on RaceBrain, which if you haven't listened, that's our other podcast. Anyways, your answer to what should we do with this month's funds, how can we reinvest into the podcast was, could we get me a coffin (laughs) because I've taken a turn for the worst? And I thought that's a selfish way to spend hard-earned money people are giving the patreon it didn't have to be a nice one but i thought i was on my way out a coffin i spiraled quickly last week after our episode it was so bad you didn't want to reinvest in giving the people good quality audio product you were like screw it bury me that's how bad it is i got to the point for probably only the second time in my life where i just thought eh i could go (laughs) what was the other time in your life COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Two for this year, huh? Yeah, I've never been sick for longer than three days continuously in my life until this year. One with COVID, that's an outlier. And then whatever this thing was. Uh, we joked on the episode that I was coughing and such last week when we were recording. But the next day, I was just on my deathbed. And I wound up in urgent care on Thanksgiving morning. Um, I've never, and I, th- I told you this off mic, but I've never gone to the doctor for myself for sickness. I've gone for surgeries and every spring for allergy medication for seasonal allergies, but I've never been sick enough to go to the doctor. This is the first time in my life. How does it feel to be human? Ah, I felt terrible. Sitting there surrounded by sick people. Doctors trying to talk to me. They're trying to take a nasal swab and I can't stop coughing. Can't, I, I can't get through a conversation with them. I just understood like I'm that gross sick patient right now. And I didn't care. Whatever they would have prescribed me. In that moment, I realized I would give up the rest of my athletic career right now for whatever drug you would give me. Whatever. If this disqualifies me from 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 competition, whatever, I'll take it. I just, I want to live. <laughs> I thought I was okay slipping off, but no, I want to live. So did the, uh, did the EPO prescription do the trick? You know, that didn't come through. I didn't get that. You don't have a a medical, um, I don't know, partnership or a medical, uh, I don't know, green light for this? It's just regular old antibiotics? Nope. Nope. Just the the regular get over this, whatever, settle in my lungs junk. I'm glad you're back on the right side of the ground. You look better today, so. Yeah, I've got a little bit of life energy today. I slept two nights in a row, Mm. and that, that was a game changer. Uh, you'll probably get a little coughing today, folks. Um, don't apologize for it, Bracken. Be I got most of it out of the last you. episode. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, you did, actually. You did a good job of that. <clears throat> I left one okay. or two in because they were funny to me. You know, I have not been on antibiotics since May or June. And normally I was in the cycle of going every two months or so because that's just how my body works. And I think, you know, slowing down laying off the drinking, all that stuff, the little lifestyle things have helped. But um, I don't miss the meds, and I'm hoping I can stave off my next use. But I got to that point often. It'd be like you get sick, you kind of start to feel better, and then three days later you just tank. And then I'd be like, give me anything. I just want to feel better. And it works, but it's kind of hard on the system. So anyways, you're back, and you're running again. So we really have a lot of positive momentum going here. Well, I was. I've just been kicked to the curb for a whole week. That is uh, life slowing you down even further um, in order to make sure you're good and recovered. Yep. That's right. 
so recovered. All right. Well, I am considering uh, I'm going to decide by the end of the week, and I prefer to be last minute with this because I just get other life stuff I want to do sometimes. But i um, thinking of going to Florida to race December, what is it, 10th? So like week and a half from this podcast release. Haven't run a Spartan race since March. Jess's best friend, um, Siri, lives down in Sarasota, and it's a good excuse for us to go visit. So considering going down to just make a little trip out of it, and I haven't really put my fitness to the test on an OCR course um, or any real race other than some time trials for a long time since some trail racing this summer. So thinking of going down and doing that. I absolutely 100% encourage you to do so. Do you? 100%. I haven't been running much trail, though, so that'll be interesting. Nor doing any compromised work. It's just like, what will Kirk's engine and one day of strength work a week do for the OCR realm? So you're not going to bone up on it for two weeks? You're just going to... Nope, not doing crap. I'm going to show... I'd show up, and if it if it's, you know, my demise, it's my demise. I don't think it will be, though. Um, so I, I want to bring up something really quick. We didn't plan on talking about this, and I don't want to get too far into it. We're not good at that. I know. But I am not going to make the Spartan Pro team next year. It'll be my first year not on the team since 2017 okay. or 18. I didn't meet the qualifications. And my thought was, well, you need three victories. You need three gold medal deltas of any race, and you're on tier three of the pro team, even if it's these little team, little races. And I thought, well, could I backdoor this thing and just go try to win the B Super in the sprint in one weekend, wipe my hands clean, and make the pro team? I thought about that. I don't know if the sprint is an open or if they have an elite heat. I think they no longer have two elites on the same day. Right. So I realized that wasn't maybe an option. Well, then I got to talking to one of my, uh, my international athletes who lives in Hong Kong. She has not been able to race a whole lot, and she will not be on the pro team next year because they didn't have races available to her, and it's a little mm. upsetting. They couldn't start racing until the last month. So point I'm getting at is, um, is she had contacted, uh, some, some of the local, whatever figureheads for Spartan and this is backdoor knowledge, but it sounds like they're going to nix the pro team next year anyways. Ooh. And then this sentiment was confirmed by another athlete of mine who has asked a U.S. backend Spartan staff. I'm not going to name names here yet. And I don't mean to be dropping something. We're not ORM, but these are two sources on different sides of oceans that are saying there is no Spartan, probably no Spartan pro team next year at all. They're going to ax it. If that's the case, then who the heck cares? But on the other hand, like I have an athlete in particular, maybe two, who are for the prestige to because they want to be on it, have spent thousands, maybe $10,000 chasing podiums in order to make this team after the first year they come out with a tiered system this is an objective way to make the team and then they potentially are going to pull the rug out underneath the whole thing they announced it this year and they ended it this year allegedly now i'm putting the cart before the horse and we don't speculate here very often but with the change to the format i can't help but want to fight for like the davids of the world and if they pull the pro team, I may adamantly go on strike yeah. if they do that to certain. I got a handful of athletes I'm very invested in that may make the team by the new criteria who've never been on it before. So anyways, what do you think about that, Bracken? Oh, I mean, if that's true, it's unfortunate that they didn't give heads up because a lot of people have spent the entire fall podium chasing in order to pad their credentials in order to make a tier of the team. That would be uh that would be a big kick right to the gut of a lot of people. Pocketbooks of a lot of people. It's not about, you know, saving the thousand dollar free race pass. It's about getting that headband with your name on it, getting a Spartan Pro jersey, working towards a goal and accomplishing it. We throw money at this sport. Right? But like also it's the thousand dollar free race pass. Yeah, but if you go to eight back back-to-back race weekends and spend $8,000 in travel to get that $1,000 race pass. It's not about the money for most people chasing it. It's about accomplishing a goal. But anyways, I think that's when the like fire aim ready thing can really bite Spartan in the butt. Again, pure speculation. If you work for Spartan, you want to come on and chat with us about it, or you want to reach out to me on the back end, I'd love to hear what's really going on. But 
I just felt like this came from two sort of reliable sources, <laughs> reliable athletes or people, even though it was secondhand knowledge, it just seems like it, I could see that happening. Well, that would be the end of another era. It would. I might just be getting myself in trouble by bringing this up, but I don't really care. I like got really fired up when I heard it for the first time. And then the second time my blood started to boil wanting to defend my athlete's yeah. honor. Anyways, you have any chase in maybe a pro team? Yeah. Or, or on the verge? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's someone who probably will cancel their last trip for the year if that's true, because that, that'd be the only reason they would do it. Mm hmm. Anyways, that's a by the way. I know it's just like we'll just set you on the cliff and at the edge of the cliff and let you stand there, guys, for now. But that's all I that's all I really have to add as far as news goes. Hmm. I guess we'll stay tuned for that. But that, that would be disappointing. Yeah. All that was because I thought about going down to Florida, backdooring the Spartan Pro team by trying to win three races. Yeah. Um, no easy task if Alvaro Vasquez, Brent Trail, and other hosts of people show up like they did last year. Um, but nonetheless... Um, now I don't care. So that, so that sort of waits into my decision to go is what I'm yeah. getting at. So I'll see if I want to go. But I guess my only opinion on that is that the day they took it away from invite only, 8 to 12 men, 8 to 12 women, and turned it into a qualification system and went after 160 people or whatever, the day they mm -hmm. set that in motion, this was the only logical ending point. Was it, was it fizzling out and going away? Mm. that 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 was the that was the end in sight at that point in my opinion so it's a surprise that it's happening this year to me but that it's happening in general i can't say i'm that surprised because that that was put in motion four years ago in my opinion we don't say it is happening it, it may be happening i think yeah. the top tier athletes are the ones that um have been good representation of the sport will still have access probably to spartan sponsors yeah. like like i have with usana um powerlift um some other companies i'm working with black rifle coffee um so i don't think it'll affect that end of things but i just think it's like it's more the little guy it's more the tier three it's more the yeah the, those humans who um are you know the backbone of the sport but um okay i'll stop myself here should we talk about uh let's talk about the topic the topic of the day yeah it's a kind of a two-part episode which is really atypical ways or the different ways of training for this sport of running this week talking about actually training for running and next week strength training for running but we recently saw at nationals a uh a combination of two athletes going head to head out on course with Caitlin Tui and Parker Valby. And they couldn't be more different in their route to getting here. Caitlin is a classic uh, runner, uh, classically trained runner. She runs volume, she runs decently high volume, and she just does it week in, week out, as far as we know. And uh, Parker runs two to three times a week. You'll hear her say 20, anywhere up to 30 miles per week she runs. And all the rest is cross-training and a lot of double sessions. And and also uh, we had, I believe it was Natalie Cook. Is a, she's a freshman right now. Uh, and she's also doing that two to three times a week running. A lot of cross-training. And we've had so many people start to come out as these um, atypically trained runners that it's, I think it's, our population that we speak to, which is the general running public, are probably the biggest um, ripe field for this. The pro ranks, they, they experiment with it when they have to because of injury concerns. But the general populace are probably the people that could get the most out of this style of atypical training plans. Yeah, and I agree. Um, and what Bracken is speaking about is the NCAA National Championship meet collegiate cross-country meet was held last weekend so like a week and a half ago we'll call it right i think it was yeah. um and so parker velby and caitlin tui uh both you know they went one two well caitlin tui ended up winning but during the broadcast the commentator mentioned that parker velby runs i think he said three to four days a week he, she probably runs two to four days a week in general and she led the race it's a 6k race and parker velby led the race for five and a half k until um, she got blown out of the water, we'll call it. But a strong contingency up front. 
and you never I'm not going to say never but cuz because Parker Velby is the is the case study is these athletes up front these women athletes are running at least 60 miles a week probably closer to 80 in college and Parker's out there doing it against the best in the nation and led the best in the nation for five and a half kilometers out of six. Obviously a strong running contingency on an atypical training style. And when I heard the commentator say that, I didn't know this, but I was like, heck yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yes. Like I almost want to reach out to get her on the podcast because I feel like I've outkicked my own coverage with my running ability through injury majorly the last few years on the three day a week plan. Um, I took seventh in the Spartan race Jacksonville national series race. The first one back in 2021 off of two or three days a week of running the week prior ran two days. The point point being is I feel like it just spoke to me and I was like, well, I'm, I'm a nobody compared to a high level college cross country athlete. She is light years beyond my talent and ability level compared to the world. I, I was happy to hear that. So I think diving into that just makes a lot of sense. It's something I, I get excited about. And you've been in that boat too. I have. Um, and, and this isn't Parker's first time. She did the same thing at Outdoor Nationals in track last year. Yep. Or this year, I suppose, uh, with Caitlin. She made a big move at the outdoor final, I believe the 5K. And she and, and Caitlin ran her down and, and mm-hmm. won. But Parker took second there as well, I believe. And so she's consistently doing this. And she trains under Chris Solinsky down at Florida, which Chris is a Wisconsin boy. And we grew up idolizing him. And he was a big volume guy. And so it's kind of cool to see the, the worlds converge there. But... Mm-hmm. It's interesting to me because I have had to do a little bit of injury uh, cross training thing, but I'm a consistency runner. The more I run, the better I get. The more often I run, the better I get. And I feel good and fine when I'm just doing quality work and cross training and everything else, but I'm always at my best when I can just run more. And you're you're able to do the opposite. And it just highlights even here on this podcast we have two contrasting styles of what's worked best for us in our careers. And every athlete we work with highlights to us that like today I just had a call with an athlete and she said, how much, how much would you like me to start running? It was an onboarding call. It's like, man, I I don't even, I don't even want to, I don't even want to put a system on you right now to start because I don't know what you respond to. And that, that that wouldn't have been my, my answer 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Your answer 10 years ago, as much as, or as much as you can, it would be, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or like we got to at least start at five five days a week, minimum. And now it's like, there are so many ways to skin this cat. There are so many ways of appropriately training for running that were not accepted as appropriate a decade ago. Well, and I will default by saying, um, like running three days a week for a good bulk of the last few years of my, my training wasn't by choice. It was because I was managing injury. You know, I think most of these athletes would be running, you know, minimum five, most of them six or seven days a week if they're not monitoring some sort of injury or health situation. Um, But I think like my first thought uh, listening to this is one or or knowing that that Parker Velby is training on lower run volume is that one like, okay, like she's proof that it can work at a very high level. And then two. I instantly went to the athlete who wants longevity in this sport while still performing well along the way. Runners are notorious for eventually the knee's going to take you out or the hip or the ankle or something will win because running is so catabolic, meaning it just breaks your body down. It doesn't build you up as much as you would like to think it does. It's just bad for you structurally. It's good for overall health. It's really bad for you structurally. And so you start to think like, okay, and we can get into the high-end athlete as well, but it's like, okay, I'm 40. I'm going to be 50. Like I want to run into my later adult years where you can get ahead of this while still competing really well now by maybe purposely choosing to run less to save your body for later, which is a concept I've never really had cross my mind until recently being like, well, you know, my old man uh, hasn't run in 10 or 15 years. He's 65. I think he stopped running around 50 ish because of his hip and his knee. 
and all that stuff because he just ran himself in crappy shoes on cement constantly with no with no real thought rhyme or reason and now he is unable to run he was a state champ in high school cross country and so my mind first went there which i know is not where you planned on starting this conversation but i'm saying you don't always have to be cornered into three days a week of running you could also do it by choice and still be very effective i think that's what i'm sort of getting at um, yeah. with that take so what i want to do today is talk about the atypical ways that you can train to be a runner we always, we, not always, but we, we typically stick to the things that we personally use the most, but we do a lot of funky things with our athletes that we don't always talk about because it doesn't apply to everyone, but maybe we just need to be a little bit more open about those. So like the classic thing is you run as many days per week as you can run. And if you can't run every day, well, maybe just go a little slower or less each day and then you run more days or you run as much as you possibly can. And then if you have to, you cross train on the other days. But let's start on the other end. What are some of the atypical ways? So let's start with Parker. So her example is that if she's running, it's quality. She's doing her interval work. She's doing her hills. She's doing her thresholds. And every single other run is not done as a run. It's just done on, she does a ton of elliptical work. Other people do it on the bike or whatever, but that's one style of running, which is if you're running, it's purposeful, it's quality work. And if it's not, you're just not taking the pounding and you do it on a machine. And that has worked for many people throughout the years. Well, I said you wanted to talk on the opposite end, but I think we just quickly talk about the low hanging fruit there, Yeah, which is exactly what you outlined. You run your quality days which is the system that I was in for years, probably one to two quality sessions per week in one long run. And then all of your cross training is typically done at recovery, heart rate, and recovery effort on the modality of your choice. And so you may only run three days a week, but you're getting your biomechanical efficiency. You're working the appropriate energy systems. You're hitting the right stimulus while running. All the quality days you'd be hitting if you were running six or seven days a week, you're hitting all the highlight points still running. And then all those mundane recovery runs of 60 minutes that aren't flashy she's just doing her 60 minutes on the elliptical or the bike so that's the basic that's the first setup in which i think you can get 95 percent of the way there if it's done right what do you think yeah yeah i don't know what number i would put on it but i would say and, th and i think i'll just respond to what the negative reaction would be which is that that's just not training hard enough that's leaving stuff on the table. And I don't think that's inherently true. I think that if you're not running more because you're lazy, that's one thing. But I wouldn't say she's late. You can't lead a race the way she runs and be lazy. She's doing two to three hours of elliptical some days. There's a chance she's doing more training than most NCAA athletes are. It's just less run volume. And often as runners, we think running is the only route to success. It's not. It's just the main component to success. And she's hitting all the running she needs to do. But the big question, I don't even know if it's how close does it get me to my goal. It's how close does it get me healthy? And it's 100% of the way there for her. She's all the way to nationals leading for five and a half K healthy. And she left the race healthy. So was she 90% of the way to her ceiling or 95 or 100 I don't know if we can quantify it, but we can quantify that she was there. And how many of us are not on start lines because we can't get there? Or we have this nagging hip or this nagging knee or this lower back. At some point, it's not a conversation anymore about how close does it get you. It's does it allow you to be there? And it does for her. And so many of us miss out on races because we're doing it the stereotypically correct way, but we're too beat up to handle it. Preach, brother. So, yeah, we can't quantify, I don't think. Sure, we can. 95%. 95%. Okay, let, 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 I, I guess I will try to answer that. Back yeah, in answer. high school. Your back's against the wall. You have to. Back in high school, I ran at most five days per week. At most 22 to 25 miles per week. And off that, I ran a 426.7, I think, mile. And I ran, at the end of the year on a whim, ran a 953. One internet guy's here. He's going to disconnect our internet. Right now? Right now. Why? 
I have to go find out. That's unacceptable. Is there another time today that works for you? Tell him to wait. Tell him to go to the next house. <laughs> I, my internet guy came over. Not my internet guy. I don't have like I don't have a guy for this, but the internet guy came over right in the middle of this and just got right to work. Knocked on the door. Lisa let him in. He marched right on over to the modem and started started uh, shutting it all down. And and we were out. Just like that. We got unplugged, folks, and uh, I think it forced us to go on about an hour and a half hiatus, hour hiatus, so we'll try to pick up where we left off. If it doesn't mm-hmm. flow perfectly at this point, that's why, because I forgot how we left it, but you remember, you say, so let's see how good you yeah. are. Well, I'm going to try to quantify it. You, you said, is it 95%? It's 95%. I said, I'll try to quantify it. So in high school, I did not run every day. And we did a lot of speed work and not a lot of mileage, less than 25 miles per week, almost every single week. And I ran 426 and a 953 two mile. And now progressed into the future where I ran volume and all those other things. Um, I didn't get all that much faster than that. Like college, sure, I got faster. But then afterwards when I stopped doing speed work and I was just doing threshold work and hill work and OCR work. I've run anywhere between 420 and 426 uh, for my fastest road miles off 60, 70 miles per week and tens of thousands of feet of vert and long runs and all that stuff. So back in high school when I did more cross training and and didn't have huge base, but I just sharpened and did work all the time, I was within 5%. Mm -hmm. Now that's that's a bad, that is not a scientific comparison. But the point is that you can get there on two different styles of training. Now, one is much more sustainable than the other because I wasn't doing the Parker Valby style of training. I was just doing a lot of speed work and couldn't handle any other volume. But I wasn't doing the the, the hours of intentional volume on top of it in a non-impact format. But I believe that, yeah, you could get mid to upper 90s to your ceiling, which to most people, Kirk, do they need to get any closer than 95% of the way to their ceiling. When you're 95% of the way there, you probably think you're almost 100 anyways. Yeah. I don't think we know the difference. I don't think most of us know when we hit our ceiling. A, most of us never do. And usually we always think, oh yeah, there's something else waiting. You don't realize till years later. Wow, that was that was as good as it ever got. I don't think you ever think you hit your ceiling in the moment. Never. So 95% feels like I'm at my ceiling and I'm also nowhere close. So I don't think most people can quantify it. I think that most of us do it to improve and to feel good about ourselves. And both of those can be done in atypical styles. Mm -hmm. Well, we think uh, to be a good runner, you have to run. That is true. That is 100% true. But a lot of us believe to be the best runner we can be, we only run. Like when we're doing our aerobic condition, when we're conditioning, we're running, right? Like that's how this works, right? Um, But see, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, but like we have energy systems that need to be worked regardless as to resistance to impact or biomechanical efficiency of your stride. What propels resistance to impact and biomechanical efficiency is your aerobic development, meaning like how much engine can I put in my car? Sure, the wheels might fall off at, if I have too big of an engine and not good enough wheels, or the car may break down because of X and Y, which could be injury or other things. But the engine is still what matters, right? So as long as we work the appropriate aerobic, anaerobic, metabolic systems, and then find a way to do the appropriate running amidst that, but not exclusively, the theory behind it is that our engine can be as capable as possible. Our engine can be just as capable by running three days a week as it can by running seven days a week. That is a physiological fact, in my opinion. Now, can your legs handle the resistance impact of a half marathon if you're only running 20 miles a week? Well, the last few miles, you might blow up. Or, you know, at some point, does the effort just win? And yes, that does matter. And and you become less efficient as you tire if you're not running a lot of miles and all these other things. But the point being is that the engine is what drives, what propels the car forward. And that can be 100% of the way there, whether you're running Mm -hmm. a bunch or you're not. And so that you always have to remind yourself if you're not able to run as much as you would like or you're choosing to run less. The engine, still the engine, regardless as to how you're getting it. Well, we've talked about this 
next piece and that piece before, but the big movers of just doing aerobic work are building capillary bed density, red blood cell improvements, um, mitochondrial size and and uh, abundancy. Those happen whether you're on the elliptical rower, assault runner, treadmill, outside running on the bike. They happen no matter what you do. And it's not that you don't have access to those capillary beds running if you built them on the treadmill or if you built them on the elliptical. They're, they're not like a one-way street where you can only use them in the modality in which you built them. That's not the way the body works. And so you can build all of those ancillary pieces that people point to when they say, this is why you need to do a lot of easy aerobic running. You can do that on a machine. Now, the big piece is what you touched on, which is the impact. The big elephant in the room here is that Parker Valby is running for less than 20 minutes. Right. What would happen to her in a 40-minute race or a 60-minute race or a three-hour race? That is where the system starts to, on paper or in arguments and forums, break down. Is what happens when the impact begins to accrue, the damage begins to add up, then what happens to your cute, fuzzy little, I only run three times a week system? Well, the answer is that you modify the system, Kirk. Continue. I'll either jump in or you just, you just, I want you to jump in because that you are the master of modifying the system. Well, I wouldn't say that, but, um, oh, let, let me pause you then again. You, you, you took 11th at a world championship that was held at altitude over the course of what was it that year? 14 and a half miles. I think that, uh, maybe like a, it was a standard, like a 13, maybe it was up to 14. Sure. And how long did that race take at altitude with the obstacles and the climbs and everything? Two, two hours and 20 something. Yeah. So two hours and 20 minutes. That's long enough to, uh, to, to be a litmus test for impact. Climbing and descending in Lake Tahoe at altitude, that will damage your legs. So if you can hold up for two hours and 20 minutes and be top 11 in the world, I think that the question has been answered and you weren't running five to seven times per week. So I think that in that field, can we confidently say you ran less than anyone else in the top 11? I think I ran less than anybody in the top 50. Yeah. So when I say you're the master of this, I think there is some, you wouldn't accept that title, but there's some credence behind that. Oh, start bragging. Mm-hmm. Although top 11 doesn't have a nice ring to it. Um, I'm very proud of that. That was a very dense year. They all are dense years. That was a very exceptionally dense year of athletes. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I was running four days a week ish then maybe up to five at times, but back and forth between the two, which is not nearly as much as a lot of the competition. Um, so, well, what you do is obviously, and I think what's made me successful in recent years is the hammer swings. When you do put on your running shoes, still reflect what is needed of you out on the race course that you will be running. And so even if I was only running four days per week, my long runs were three hours. Maybe I couldn't do a three hour long run every weekend, but I could every other weekend. And maybe my interval sessions went from 20 to 30 minutes of quality work to 40 to 60 minutes of quality work. And most of it was focused on the incline trainer. We don't get to get lost in the details, but what you do is those, those days, the shoes go on, you just bump everything else up in accordance to what your race demand is. And you also bump everything else up on your aerobic conditioning outside of your running. And so um, that was the simple formula is, is if you're lucky enough to be healthy, you uh, be able to handle that bump. Of course, you're going to need to be able to handle that bump for longer races. Um, that is really the ticket. And then the other thing, and we don't need to focus on this today. We're actually gonna do an episode most likely next week on strength work, but <clears throat> I actually had an athlete ask me today, why are we squatting and deadlifting so much right now? How is this going to make me a faster runner? They said that to me via email. This guy likes to poke a little. He's new. You know who you are. And I said, it doesn't make you really faster, but what it does is it makes you more durable. It makes you in the points in the race in which things are starting to break down and get ugly and your resistance to impact is starting to take a hit. It helps you sustain longer when things start to get bad and you probably lose a smaller percentage 
of what you are capable of due to the fact that you are stronger. So does it make you faster? Negligibly, honestly. If he's talking raw speed over like a 5K or a mile is what he was inferring. But the combination of making sure that I was getting stimulus on the lower body in combination with big bullet points when I was putting on my running shoes. It's that simple. You just, just like you said, you just rescale. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, there there are rules that apply to running plans that are five to seven day per week plans. And you can't apply the same rules to an atypical running plan. Those plans need their own rules. Because a typical running plan says, don't you ever dare go above 10 or 15 or 20% of your weekly mileage on your long run, depending on who you talk to. Some people will even say up to 25. Well, if you're running three times a week and you're preparing for a two-hour race, you need a two-hour long run. But if you're only running four hours per week, and a two to three hour long run's happening, that's 50 to 75% of your weekly volume in one run. Well, that's okay because we're not going by the archetype of the old system. This is an atypical system, so we have atypical rules to govern it. And that's where people start to get lost. Yeah, you make a good point. I remember uh, in the lead up, it was somewhere in July or August. I don't remember. Tahoe was in September. It was my shins were really acting up on me, and they do from time to time. Knock on wood, they've been better. Um, so I've been able to do five days a week of running, which is fantastic lately. Four or five, five mostly. But anyways, um, I remember one week I was only able to run twice. I said, I'm going to get ahead of it. And it was like one of those things I could run three times and break it up into like small runs probably, or I could run twice and save it so I could go get what I knew I needed on feet, which was a three-hour long run at the ski hill. And so I ran once on Tuesday, did a quality effort, cross-trained everything else in between, and then did three hours on Saturday. My total time for that week was like four hours and 15 minutes on feet, and three hours of that was in one run. Because I understood the prioritization of getting ready for what was coming, and that was time on feet and damage. So I worked my systems in another way in the lead up and still got it done. Like I believe I'm going to say, I'm going to throw a percentage. I think I could get 90 to 95% of the way there. If you gave me two days a week of running, you said, that's all you get. I think I could do it because of the principles we're talking about. I don't think I could get a hundred percent. You do lose some efficiency if you're not hitting it very frequently, but Correct. Um, that'd be a case in point there. And so there, there's, you'll see this sometimes someone on Instagram will try to be contrarian and they'll post this like aggressive, uh, post that'll say, you're not overtraining, you're under recovering. And all the fitness professionals kind of roll their eyes like, ugh, like this person again. And because that person's not wrong, they're just acting like we're saying one thing, but we're really wrong because we should be saying the other. And, and that, it's an annoying concept to have to deal with, but there's some truth there. But the reality is not that one's overworking or under recovering. It's that you're failing in the confines of your rules. So when we say some people aren't three quality day a week people, they do better off two. It's not because three quality days is too much for them. Kind of like that Instagram coach, what we're really saying is three is too much on top of four other days of running and trying to also hit your 50 mile week. Mm -hmm. So it's not that you're overworking or under recovering. It's that you're trying to, to borrow from each side. So when you, when you get rid of those rules of, I'm going to hit three quality weeks on top of my X hours per week. And now you say, I'm going to hit three quality workouts this week. And then I'm going to add in whatever else I can fit in here appropriately. That's your recipe for success. And that recipe actually applies to whether you're going to run 15 times a week or three times per week. Like identifying what is my stress level and how much aerobic can I fill into there? That's the important equation here. And so for this theoretical person, let's say Parker wanted to run a marathon. Could she do it off three days per week? It'd be really tough, but yeah, she'd have to do crazy long runs. Mm -hmm. And maybe not even every week, but you'd have to get those long pounding time on feet. And the the stereotypical response in a runner's world article or in a forum would be, you can't handle 20 mile long runs if you're only running three times a week. You're not prepared to handle that. And our response would be, no, you can You might have to build up to that starting with 12 miles, but what you have to do is take into account that you're not taking pounding for the next 48 hours of running. So it's not that you can't handle 20 miles. You can't handle 20 miles and then 10 the next day and then four the day after and then 12 more, but you can handle 20 if you didn't have to run for 48 more hours. So finding your rules for how you recover from these things allows you to modify these type of systems into long events. Yeah, that's why it is really individual, right? 
when yeah when you're moving the puzzle pieces around that's the reason i don't think people lead with this system online is because you can't really cookie cutter it no not at all you can't say just go run five miles of speed work Tuesday, five miles of speed work Thursday, get your 20 miles on Saturday, and I guarantee you'll feel great because not everyone will. Like you have to work with someone to figure out how this works. You had to work with yourself for years to figure out what's my cross-training methodology here? How do I balance this out? On one week, you had to decide to go down to two day, two runs per week instead of up to four. It's It takes ebb and flow and give and take and balance, and that's not really a system you can sell on people. But... This point isn't to sell a system on someone. It's to start how to, to open our eyes to, okay, what is my personal best training system? And is it atypical? If I want to run into my 60s, do I have to make a change now in order to do that later? Like, do I want to enjoy the heck out of my 40s and not get my 60s? Or should I find a pretty moderately enjoyable route through my 40s that gives me a super enjoyable route in my 60s? Mm. Yeah, and I, that's one of those things. You, if you had a crystal ball, that would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be. You know, look, look into the future. I, yeah, I remember like even the nuances when I was balancing like three days a week and still trying to really compete. It'd be like, well, I know I need a steady long run at some point. Everything can't be quality, and so it'd be a quality workout Tuesday, and then I would do like a vert chasing midweek long run on Thursday, but then Friday I would hit some really spicy assault bike intervals for a second high output stimulus, following that up with a Saturday, easy long run of three hours. Like I would have to move the puzzle. But then if I had next week, I had a quality long run plan where there were some intervals or fartlek style. I wouldn't do anything quality on the assault bike. I was giving myself two high output workouts a week. It took me like little nuances like that. Like, sure. I was getting my heart rate way up twice a week. Wasn't always running. So I could stay healthy to continue running. It was like, what stimulus do I need and how do I achieve it? So there are a lot of weeks in there where my quality happened sometimes on the assault bike because of what was needed. And so the, just the details are kind of, they're going to vary depending on who you are. Now I know we, we talked about, okay, so you get it guys, right? Like you get it, like you run and ideally you prioritize your quality days or your higher time on feet days that are needed to achieve your running or racing goals. And then you fill the gap with aerobic conditioning mostly recovery work, a few exceptions there, like I just mentioned, on a cross-training equipment. That's like the, okay, I get that. I can wrap my, you can wrap your head around that pretty easy, right, Bracken? Like, that makes sense. And it works. Like, it really does work. Now, I have two athletes right now who we are doing the opposite with. And this is also something, especially as you get older and you're having a tough time with your connective tissue, soft tissue, things like that, um, injuries can pop up when high out power output, um, workouts are prescribed shorter intervals, fast, hard uphill work. And so we're doing all of our quality work on pieces of cross training equipment and yes. we're only running, which is very contradictory, but your unique situation may require this. And then when we do quality, maybe it's a five mile tempo progression where we're never able to really go rip it because, it's a five mile effort. And so our VO2 max stuff is happening on the assault bike, on the rower. And then our threshold work will be snuck in there for the run, but never the flashy stuff. And we race at threshold anyways. Like unless you're racing a mile or a 5K, like at the elite level, like we're running in threshold anyways. And so there can be other ways to look at this too. Like if you're a soft tissue issue person, your Achilles just really fires up from all this. You're telling me to do the quality work when I run, but that's the stuff I can't do. You can rejig the system to get your VO2 max work done on the cross-training equipment, and then your quality work running is either threshold, longer sustained efforts, um, or it doesn't happen at all until race day, which can be a little tough because of efficiency reasons, but that way I am currently approaching with two athletes, and um, times are improving. We 5K time trial, and that is trending the right direction still. So yeah, um, other side of the coin. And I think that, that coin we should explore because there are some people who just love to run. And they don't want to run scripted workouts. It's it's hard on their body or it just disrupts their time out running with friends or trails or they just want to play in the mountains every day, but they know they need anaerobic work in there and it's all done on machines. And again, the generic reply to that is going to be, you're going to lose your efficiency of running at pace. Um, there 
uh, we talk a lot. Maybe I talk too much about the Norwegian style of training, but it's taking over the world right now. And I think it's always best practice to follow current best practice and at least find out why, why it's working and what the takeaways are. And if you take a look, let's say, let's look at Jakob Ingebrigtsen. If, if anyone's listening that doesn't know about him yet, um, he is the reigning Olympic 1500 meter, which is essentially a mile champion. But he also won um, world, he's a, a world 5K champion. Uh, just European off of cross his country champs. European cross country champ. He's a monster. They, he races. If he races on the track, which is almost all he does anymore. He's either running the 1500 meters and occasionally the 5k. So his 1500 meter pace throughout the year of all his races, I think he averaged something like 330 or 332 was his average 1500 meter. So, I mean, that is roughly, what do we want to call that? 448, 347, 348 mile. Three, between 347 and 350 mile pace is the speed he's running every stride at on average. Let's just call it 350 mile pace. For those humans out there, what pace would that be on the treadmill so they can wrap their head around that? 15.3, Five, 15.4? Yeah. 15 mile per hour on the treadmill is four minute pace. Yep. So he's running faster than your treadmill will go is his average stride pace during all of the races he ran this year. Except if he jumped into a 5K, uh, it's just depressing to say these numbers out loud, but a slow 5K for him would be 420 mile pace. First mile come through at 420. Because 420, 420, 420 would be a 13 flat three mile, plus you got to add in another 30 seconds for the last tenth of a mile. That'd be a 1330, and I don't think he's run slower than 1310 in like Ten, three years. I don't, I don't think he, yeah. so. He's running on his two race paces are somewhere between 345 per mile and 415 per mile. Those are the two paces, the two strides he works at. And for 90% of the year, he doesn't go under right around 440 pace in any of his interval work. Why don't you explain why you know this? Well, I know this because I'm an obsessive person, Kirk, but I have tried to find everything I can find about all the major pro training groups on the planet. And what they do is they do a lot of threshold work that, that is well defined. And you can find all the time when he goes in and does new lab testing, he was, when he first started his lactate threshold was 451 per mile and then it was 447 and then 441. And whenever he gets new uh, lab testing data, it trickles out, but they err on the slow side of threshold often. But in the evening when they do their slightly quicker stuff, he's still not running much faster than 440 per mile ever. And that is over 20, 20 to 25 seconds per mile slower than any pace he will race throughout the season. And yet he's the Olympic champ and he can translate to those paces because he's still using a pretty decent stride throughout the year in all these paces. Like you still have to run a strong stride to run 440 pace, even if you plan on running 350 pace. Like that's a 50 second difference per mile. That's astronomical. Most of us would be turning to our coach and emailing back like, hey, this is not going to get me ready for a race. If he had you doing work at 50 seconds per mile slower than your intended work rate for 90% of your training plan. But it works and it's worked for, for, for just dozens of athletes from that nation now for the last several years. So I just want to relate that, that scenario to show that when they do once per week, do some faster 200 meter work uphill or when summer comes around and track season starts and they do shift to the track for like three weeks before their their track season starts that's enough sharpening that he can go from being comfortable at 440 pace to racing at 350 pace that's enough and if that works for the best in the world what do you think we could do if we need to race at six minute pace i think we could spend a lot of time running seven minute pace and a little bit of sharpening and be okay. As long as we're building our engine on the machines or in other modalities. Yeah, I think we're going to be just fine because this efficiency, it comes from running fast, but it also comes from endless repetitions. And that's the big, I, I say all of that to say this. Part of the reason it works for them is because they have 10 years uninterrupted. 
And part of the reason they're uninterrupted is because they're not overreaching on things. And so they stay healthy. And so for you or I, if we want to run 550 pace in a race or 650 pace, and we want to spend a lot of time at that pace or faster to get efficient, we also raise up our opportunity to get injured. But if we err on the slower side of it, and we're not getting those efficiency reps in, well, we balance that out by just getting way more reps in because we're always available. We're always healthy. And so finding that piece of your equation, which is how do I get the most possible reps in? Slower reps, more of them, build the same type of efficiency that less fast reps build. And so again, there are many ways to get to the end point, but that common goal should always be to be healthy and available. Efficiency is not just built through sprinting. It can also be built through a lot, a lot, a lot of reps at a slower pace. Do you want me to say something unpopular? Yeah, I love you. I love when you get all unpopular on me. Speed work is overrated. It is simultaneously over and underrated. Speed work is so astronomically overrated. It's I. It, you're right there, actually. And we could talk ourselves in circles with this one, but I'm going to say speed work is overrated. That is the camp I'm going to be in. Very overrated. And I think, to balance that out, speed work is overrated and form work is underrated. That I can get on board with. You have to be doing something at a fast pace. Efficiency work is underrated. Yes. Efficiency work is underrated. I think speed work is very overrated. Correct. Running 200, 400 meter reps with lots of rest and then going out and racing for an hour at threshold, you're playing on different planets. Yes. At times. Now, it is neat. It is helpful and it can sharpen the pointy end of the spear and all of those things. And I prescribe it, of course, and I do it once in a while. But it's so overrated. And you outlined that really beautifully. It reminds me of uh, even a more, ex- a lesser extreme version of when we interviewed Tyler Germain not too long ago. And in college, his coach had them do like, no, they never touched a workout as fast as race pace, which was like 445 for them in college on the cross course. And the fastest they'd run in training is like 525, 30 pace. Yet he got better every year and they yeah. performed well off of it because they were available. What's the best ability, right? Availability. And you've said that before on this podcast. And um, there you have it. I think it's the first thing that can go from a plan um, would be like true purposeful speed workouts, meaning like 12 by 400 or 600 meter repeats or whatever. What's cool would be getting on the treadmill and running for 30 seconds with your best open, most efficient stride fast yeah, and then chilling and then repeating and just getting those systems systems working. But we don't know. We, maybe we can do a whole episode on why speed work is overrated sometime and have the least amount of downloads out of any episode we ever <laughs> release. But I do want to dig into that, that concept though real quickly because I think it it helps kind of buoy this episode because so many times you hear from an athlete, like I, I, I could cut out my VO two max work or my five K pace work or my mile pace where I, I could cut those workouts out, uh, for like a training stimulus fine, but I need it for my run efficiency and that they're absolutely wrong in their rightness. <laughs> like they are so right, but for the wrong reason. Or they're wrong for the right reason. Yeah, we're just going to muddy these waters. And that is this. Mm -hmm. If you cut out VO2 max or faster work from a training standpoint and you can afford it, then you didn't need it. If you can't afford cutting that out, you can't afford to cut that out entirely or at all. But from an efficiency standpoint, my stride doesn't feel good unless I'm doing that work. Well, you're right, but you're wrong. You need to be doing that pace or that stride, but you don't need to be doing that work. Let's say 12 by 400 at two mile pace or 5k pace, whatever it is, running hard. You don't need 12 by 400 to run efficiently. You need it to get your VO2 max stimulus. But if you didn't care about that stimulus, you decided I'm going to do a lot more engine work elsewhere, but I still want my efficiency. You can probably get that with three by 400. Or four by 200. Correct. Like the, the minimum viable product of that is much lower. You could run 20 by 200 like we used to in college all the time at, at mile pace to try to get stronger for the 800. Or we could run four by 200 and get most of the same amount of skill work on our stride and not take any amount of damage for the day. And so I think that most people, 
have have a, a struggle removing those two halves from each other. The engine work versus the form efficiency work because the same amount of volume of work is not required for both. You need more volume to get the engine work. You don't need a whole lot of stimulus to actually improve your running efficiency at those paces. Yep. And that helps this type of thing. It does. So you, like with your athletes, you could go and do all your engine work on everything else and then just do a few little bits of speed sprinkle to keep your stride pretty and nice. Or for the other end, you could do a ton, just three runs a week of threshold and just a sprinkle in some 200s to stay, to stay sharp. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to pay both ends too much engine work and a lot of efficiency work to be good at either. I feel like I've uh, made two really big confessions in the last two episodes between on Friday. <laughs> no more str- no more training log. No more training log, written training log, and then and then I think speed work is overrated. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, dicey. You know, I kind of roll my... Okay, we don't need to go down this rabbit hole. We need to shift because, well, time for one. I don't know how long we've been rambling now because this has been broken up, but um, is when I see it, when I hear an athlete say... Um, I just need more speed work. I feel so slow and all of that. And I understand feeling that way because I've gone through times in that and they request speed work. Sometimes I give it to them because it just keeps the kids happy, you know, and that's important too. Um, But most of the time it's just because you're tired and you just need to just freshen up a little bit and you're going to feel fast again. Um, Sometimes I tell them that and sometimes I say, okay, we'll put a few in there to make you feel better but secretly i'm reducing your volume and adding an extra cross training day in there to perk them up um anyways okay so we talked about both sides of that coin what to do with your run days what to do with your cross training days and uh those situations what uh are there any like you know outside the box training things that we can sort of maybe give us 10 minutes to unveil yeah i think combining the two that we just talked about is a third type of atypical training that can get you monster fit And that is, I don't have the ability injury-wise or desire running-wise or just resiliency to impact, resistance to impact, to do a big three-hour workout. I could do my engine work on the bike or I can do it on the run. That's fine. But I've got got 60 to 90 minutes in me. And that is the hybrid workouts. That is doing your 40 to 60-minute threshold work and then hopping on the bike for another 60 minutes of work. That is doing a two-hour bike and getting off and doing a 20-minute tempo run or a hill session. It's hitting things in sequence in order to build upon whatever was missed in the first part or to round out whatever was happening. That's that third style. It's kind of the meeting ground of the two, which is not just doing one or the other, but doing them in conjunction. That's exactly where I was going to go with it next, too. (sighs) Kirk. Bing. I agree with you. In fact... Um, that is a style in which, uh, I, I have implemented as well when I can't run as much as I would like. There was a season of life, it was 2018, um, me and Mike Ferguson were training together a good bit. I could not run as much as I wanted due to plantar fasciitis in combination with shin issues. And every Saturday we got together for two, we're going for two hours and it didn't matter. And it would be you know, 2000, a thousand meter row followed by 800 meters on the treadmill flat, followed by a quarter mile uphill at 15% ritz and repeat. And we'd put harder efforts in there and we would just go and cycle and cycle, like cycle through this circuit. And when push came to shove, I still ran maybe an hour of that two hours, but my heart rate stayed where it needed to be. I got efficiency work well tired and it translated really well. That was my first, like my best season uh, I really felt like it can't, had a coming out party that year for myself. And that was what I did all winter. I mean, for months, that was our Saturday workout. Sometimes we'd be like, you know, thousand meter row, half to mile run, three minutes of bucket carry, just for no real reason other than to like keep the heart rate up and get stimulus. And it just, it worked. Mm-hmm. It's, it just worked. And that was the non-flashy stuff, let alone the flashy stuff. A lot of times then... I may say, okay, I can only run two miles today. Like my progression has me like I can run two miles twice a week and three miles once a week. Like that was legit where I was at for a while. Well, what would that two miles look like? I'd warm up for 15 minutes on the bike and the uh, rower 
and then I hit quarter mile repeats. But what did I do with those? I hit 400 meters on the rower, 400 meters on the treadmill, rest 90 or 60 seconds, rinse and repeat. I ran eight reps of that, got two miles of running in, but I got four miles of stimulus like on my system. Mm. And I sat in that for a long time, that style of work. I ran two miles that day, but I had over 60 minutes with warm up and cool down of time. Yeah. And so that combination works, man. That was the exact same time period. It does. And and you can use this to round out skill sets as well. So for example, let's take a look at my year. I want to do that hybrid, high volume, hill-based training. Well, I want to be ready for a stadium or a DECA or a high rocks, but I also want to be able to run a good road 5k and I want to be able to run a mountain ultra. Like, How does that all work? Well, maybe it doesn't, but the simplest version is just stack my slowest, grindiest stuff when I'm done with my workouts. If I want to hit a threshold work or a high rocks interval session, you rest up for 10 minutes and then just go get 2000 feet of hiking on the treadmill. There's no impact that is not adding to your running volume, but every uphill step you take is ultra specific because you're hiking with your legs already tired. You might be working at 130 beats per minute, but you just spent the previous 40 minutes at 170. Now you're in a compromised place, but you're doing just casual aerobic uphill work and it's bang for your buck on both ends. So by stacking these types of machines on top of regular work, you can get race specific while building volume way up. It's just a very adaptable style. But the key for all of these three, and the reason why this is a vague episode, well, we're talking little specifics and a lot of theory, is that this all comes down to matching it to your body and your training goals and how you're going to progress it. Because I think this is the part we need to end with is, is this a system or is it a progression? Like Parker doesn't see herself as a three-day per runner, three-day per week runner, indefinitely. She is currently. Her goal is not to make it to the Olympics on three days per week. Her goal is to get to the Olympics as fast as she can get there. Hopefully, there's four days per week eventually, and then five, and then maybe there's four and a half for a bit. But this isn't the type of program that you pro- program out for six months at a time. This is a living, breathing program where you feel what your body's telling you and you adapt monthly or weekly or sometimes daily. And again, it's why it's a system we can't sell you on online, but it's a system that you can teach yourself or work with a coach on because you don't want to just sit there like you. I could run two times a week, one mile. That, that wasn't your end goal. That was your starting point. Mm-hmm. And it needs to progress upwards and outwards from there. And so this is kind of the thinking man system. This isn't a set it and forget it program. This is a living, evolving creature. 100%. And it wasn't like, well, I can run two miles twice a week. It was like, okay, well, most people just say, okay, well, I got my two miles today. That's what I can do. How can we stretch that into yep. tricking our bodies that it's six miles worth of work, even though I only spent two miles of it on feet? And that's sort of the beauty. But it is a intuitive style of training that ebbs excuse me and flows so i agree with you i think if 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 you listeners get anything out of today i think that the most important thing um is simply you don't need to run five six seven days per week to see the ceiling for your potential if it's done right if that's now listen Bracken alluded to this. It's not like, okay, I just run three days a week and I don't do anything in between and all is good in the world. Nope, you are wrong. That isn't what we're talking about. Yeah. You will never see your ceiling or your 90, 95% if you're running three days a week and doing jack outside of it. Not what we're talking about. We're talking about plugging this into a comprehensive six or seven day a week system in which you are purposefully waking up every day and approaching the body and the system the appropriate way. And so... It can be done if you cannot run as much as you would like if you approach it correctly, and that's what we're outlining today. We're not giving you the green light to run three days a week and sit on your butt the other four. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. Because what running big volume does is it covers up holes in your plan. If you miss a workout, if you screw one up, if you overreach or underreach, if you're running 90 miles per week, it kind of like covers up these, these gaps in your training mm-hmm. or maybe some mistakes in your theory. 
when you can only swing a few times per week and you have to cover everything else yourself, you have to be incredibly intentional about everything you do and you can't have holes in your system anymore. So this is not for the lazy athlete. This is not for the person who wishes they could run less. This is for someone who's in a certain boat and they're excited to see how far they can get in that boat. Because you don't have this mm-hmm. this whitewash of big volume to cover up your mistakes. You have to be on top of every detail. So this will be more work for you. This will be more thinking for you than simply, I'm going to hit 80 miles in two workouts. That's not that's not what this is. This is for people who want to tinker and are excited by that process of eking out every ounce from their week rather than, I might screw up a little bit, but I'm going to cover it with running. Yeah, I agree. It's for the athlete who also might be in a corner and they're just like, I keep getting injured. I keep, like history's repeated itself. I can't get healthy trying to do what I think I need to do. Let's, let's try out this style because longevity wins instead of injure, recover, rinse and repeat. Like just three days a week consistency of running would far outwin six days a week, but every six months you have to take weeks or months off due to injury, like sustainability for sure. Yeah. How much different would this conversation be had we structured it around weekly hours of training rather than weekly runs? We might have come into this saying, Caitlin Tui is the low-volume athlete and Parker Valby is the high-volume example. Right. And that's that's the thing. You can't look at yourself as a lesser athlete for running less if you're taking it upon yourself to fill in all those gaps with more work than a, than a high-volume runner could do. Because you can only run so much. 100 miles a week is still only going to take yeah. most people 10 hours. Right. Parker's probably training 15 hours a week right now. So this isn't a, this isn't a, oh, I'm, I'm going to do what I can with this. This is kind of a badge of honor. This is for people who are willing to work. Wear with pride. Be like, I kicked your butt and I'm only running three days per week. I'm smarter than you. Yeah. I'm fitter than you and I've done it cerebrally. And that. Is sort of powerful. Like it's been a point of pride for me to be like, yeah, well, I'm doing this on X amount of days per week. Like if I can, you can too. Like just embrace that side of things. That's all right. And you know how these things fall in line. When you buy Normatec boots, they don't make you recover that much better. But suddenly you take pride in your recovery process and you start doing more. Mm. When you start taking days off of running because you're trying to stay healthier, you start doing all the little things correctly. You start paying attention to your legs. Can I handle more? Can I not? What area do I need to, to work on, on when I'm cycling? What should I be focusing on with my glutes? In the weight room, what should I be doing to help out my shins here? You start taking the little pieces correctly. And then eventually when you can run more, you have the supporting staff around you. And so this is one of those decisions that up front can seem like a cop-out to people, but long-term is a huge rebuilding strategy. And if you can run six or seven days a week and you enjoy it, just keep doing your thing. If you're yeah. healthy. We're not necessarily trying to convince you otherwise. Because that's this me. Is just for probably the, right. This is the majority of you who are human. Yeah. I'm going to keep trying to get back to seven days per week running because that's my happy spot. I like running. Mm-hmm. That's what my body responds to. But. Whenever I can't, this is a viable option. I got nothing else. End it. Roll credits.